Hey everyone and welcome to this fortnightly Central Committee broadcast where we highlight some key things going on in the party. We missed our last one so it's been four weeks. In that time the local election strategy has kicked off and it's been great to see a bunch of branches and sub-branches pick up the campaign hosting and promoting public meetings and communities they're working in to discuss why bourgeois elections get us nowhere and how we build real resistance. In CC, we've had a number of comrades struggling with health and well-being lately, so please do be patient with individual members if they take a bit longer getting back to you. Internally, we've been discussing engagement and workloads, trying to build approaches that facilitate members of the Central Committee getting things done in a way that inspires confidence and helps them build further. Next, we've got Newsroom from Sean and Angel and Joshua coming on to talk about Book Club. First, Newsroom. Angel. Hi, good evening. Good evening. I hear there's a pretty interesting bill uh, on its way to the Mexican Senate right now. Do you know anything about that? Uh, Yeah, so they uh, are proposing to nationalise the country's reserves of lithium, um, which is to say that the the mineral, um, the mining side of things. Uh, The bill doesn't appear to touch the industrial side of things, so there's not a move to... Um, do the same thing that was being done in Bolivia, where they were not only nationalizing the lithium reserves, um, but also had a national industrial strategy for developing, like the means to actually produce that that lithium into batteries and other sort of derivative products. Um, the difference there is quite significant, because unlike sort of like if you nationalize oil, for example you can at the very least guarantee affordable petrol as an input to like the the people of a country and also its its industries or you know transport networks other national things that's like that's directly useful before it goes to to market and you get the the money from selling it into into the country um with lithium it's a little bit more awkward um there's relatively fewer things that take it as a direct input so you're just kind of selling a raw material on a global market where your competitors are typically not nationalized or typically they're trying to maximize shareholder value but it isn't necessarily the mining company's shareholder value like it could be that that they're part of a conglomerate that is trying to drive the lithium prices down so that they can capture the value higher up the chain in the in the battery manufacturing instead so depending on like those kind of market conditions like it it's still a a win to nationalize it it's a huge win to be able to nationalize it because at least those profits are staying within the country or going to the state and could potentially be put towards popular projects now we do have to note like this is not a proletarian state it's not even a state that is a a compromise between like bourgeois and proletarian forces like um but it is not an imperialist country by any measure um it is a an exploited um, peripheral country and so any move that it's making against international capital is still very welcome and that money is going to go to that state rather than private proprietors um, what happens after that is is you know subject to, to class struggle within the country as well um, but it's not quite the same thing as what we've seen in Bolivia for example um, but I would still say um, a significant move if it gets, if it gets through and um, it's also uh, potential immediate consequences beyond like the the typical like you know tantrum that, that the US will throw over it is is actually like directly a violation of the free trade agreement so the thing that used to be NAFTA got renegotiated um 
over the last sort of decade or so um that was finally signed i think a year or two ago if i remember right um that's like a mexico canada us trade deal um because lithium was not named within that as a strategic mineral like of of national significance then they're violating that by nationalizing it so you mentioned bolivia uh, and i think a lot of people will well at least know of lithium from the uh, bolivian coup situation uh, and its kind of vague relation to uh, elon musk uh, even if they don't know uh, any exact uh, details on it um how how does mexico kind of line up uh, with bolivia and other uh, other kind of um countries that have lithium in that sense there's a significant proportion of the like the world's lithium reserves that have been uncovered that are in central and south america um you've got bolivia at the top there with 21 million tons um argentina is surely close behind it with 19.3 estimated chile is about half that and then you've got the us australia china congo canada germany ahead of mexico and then mexico comes in at 1.5 uh, sorry 1.7 and um, so it's not one of the biggest players but it is um it's still a, a significant one different countries estimate like some of these estimates can be a bit funny and they'd never touch the question of quality so like i it's taught been talked before bolivia has the highest reserves but actually argentina's reserves are are more accessible and a better quality in any of these cases quantity is not the not the only question but it is um obviously a, a significant um amount of lithium and with the the way sort of capital is trying to find any outlet that it can at the moment almost every lithium reserve in the world is spoken for um in some kind of long-term mining contract so anything that that um tips the scales on that one way or another is is nice to see Sean, the Amazon Labour Union has won its first vote and unionised the first um, Amazon warehouse in history. Tell me more about that and what's up next. Yeah, absolutely right. Uh, really tremendous news. Uh, the JFK 8 warehouse uh, in, uh, in New York uh, was the first place to, yeah, to basically approve uh, Amazon Labour Union uh, as a recognised union. Uh, there they got, uh, they, they won, they won the election. Uh, I, yeah, I guess before I can continue on talking about them, I should specify uh, the specific way that um, that you unionise in the states. You file a petition to say that you want a union, and then after some legal jargon and nonsense that goes on, it essentially just goes to a straight up and down vote. Uh, of everyone who works there, uh, of yes, no, uh, and uh, if if it's a yes, the union can go ahead, uh, which is exactly what happened uh, at the first um, of the of the locations. Uh, the only then difficulty follows is that you need to repeat that process at every single um, you know location, uh, which is exactly what they are in doing just now. Uh, they are uh, going to be voting at uh, a neighbouring. Um, warehouse, uh, the LDJ five uh, warehouse, which is which is also in uh, in New York. Uh, it's the next one over, uh, and they're going to go ahead. the The vote for that one starting Monday, and we're going to find out May second uh, what the results of that were when they're counted. Uh, so workers will have uh, a week to vote uh, if they if they wish to unionize, uh, and this will be. Um, 
specifically uh it's an amazon labor union vote so previously there's been uh there's been some other um unions that have attended things like this uh the the teamsters have tried it before uh various kind of uh retail unions have tried it before they have not been successful uh unfortunately um but this one seems like an actual major uh breakthrough yeah the the president of amazon labor union christian smalls uh, who is a, a now former uh, amazon employee after uh, he was fired essentially in a, in a union busting um firing that got rid of him uh amazon labor union they've been at it in some form or another since 2020 when that happened uh, obviously that that was back when uh when smalls was fired uh, specifically the amazon labor union that we know today uh was founded uh at the time of recording uh, a year and one day ago so that was a year from uh the kind of official founding of a union to um to just well just under a year to win their first election uh, and they are they are going for more um it is up to again at the individual um warehouses individual workplaces uh have to actually go in and file for this uh, and have to fight to get through and get the vote to happen but it, i mean it's also a pretty good start uh, this is obviously coming at the same time as the um as the starbucks uh union is uh is kind of winning more and more of these elections uh they obviously have a a, a very different situation and that they they have lots and lots of very small uh numbers of workers to unionize at every individual coffee shop but uh specifically the warehouses you know it's it's these like single big locations um uh, aoc uh did make uh an attempt to kind of uh, bandwagon on it uh the union didn't let her uh it was to be fair it was a little bit embarrassing um but yeah they've also uh they are going to be receiving uh, assistance from the team Sales union which is and obviously they are a, a huge well-resourced entity uh, any help from them would be uh, tremendously useful um, but it does seem like um, as we've seen uh, in recent times with like uh, especially Starbucks as I was saying uh, as soon as one goes uh, then that's that's the domino starting to fall is the, the the domino effect but it's, it's good this time. Um, I suppose another significant factor here is like so something that's happened with Amazon in the last five years is that they have shifted away from outsourcing their deliveries. So now most Amazon deliveries you'll see will come from like an actual branded Amazon Prime van um, with an Amazon employed or um, like like predatory contracted uh, van driver, but it's no longer like a third party company. So they've got that like vertical integration of, of the sub, like supply chain that they didn't used to, which um, uh, on... The flip side means that, like, we might see something like the ALU starting to unionize delivery drivers as well, or or sort of getting getting in on what the, the like, um, the groups trying to organize like Uber or Deliveroo or so on are, are up to as well. All right, so I best best of luck to uh, all those who are involved in the upcoming elections uh, for Amazon Labour Union. Different kind of election, not a union election this time. Uh, unfortunately, it is uh, the French, uh, and it is the French presidential election of 2022. Uh, the, the, I mean, the first round was a little while ago. Uh, it was back on the 10th of April. Uh, we, haven't, we haven't done this in a little bit. Um, but the second round is coming up this Sunday, which is the 24th of April. 
Uh, so we'll know on Monday um, what what flavour, what colour of racism is going to emanate out of France uh, because the two candidates are not actually that different. Um, the two candidates going in, it's 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 the same as uh, last time, twenty seventeen. If you can if you can remember that far back, um, uh, it's Emmanuel Macron and it is Marine Le Pen uh, for the uh, Le République en Marche and the uh, National uh, Rally uh, parties. Um, both of them, uh, both of them pretty right wing. Uh, I guess if you really want to get into the nitty gritty of it, uh, Le Pen's party is definitely more right wing, especially after it came after her incredibly right wing father. Uh, although she has um, bizarrely made some like, genuine attempts to uh, de-radicalize it, uh, bringing it more in line of the of the you know the acceptable right wingness uh, of uh, Macron's party. Um, much to the expense of some other of the um, the candidates. Uh, what's uh, really really noticeable, uh, or the notable, sorry, I should say, about uh, the election that we just had uh, is specifically the, the third place result, uh, which went to uh, Jean Luc Mélenchon, who is the kind of the mainstream. Uh, semi, uh, not well, not no, not even semi-independent. The mainstream, like left independent party, uh, that isn't, um, you know, it's not, it's not the Socialist Party who did shocking. It's not the French Communist Party who also did shocking. Um, uh, the the, the party itself uh, was founded by uh, Mélenchon, uh, who got uh, twenty one point nine five percent of the vote. Uh, which is just behind uh, Le Pen's 23.15. So there's an extraordinarily very, very, very little in it, uh, especially considering he is uh, uh, actually different uh, to the other two candidates. Um, in that election, you saw um, basically the co- a complete collapse for like, any kind of real support uh, that was given to um, the kind of the mainstream, like conservative lowercase c, Conservative parties, I should say, um, uh, like the uh, the Republicans uh, and parties like that, they had a, a total drop in support. Uh, Enric Zemmour, who is a, a, an incredibly fascistic um, uh, former journal and uh, I believe a talk show host actually uh, in, in France, uh, uh, kind of stood and attempted to take away um, the the position of of, of right candidate from Le Pen. Uh, but unfortunately, it didn't work uh, in the last kind of couple of weeks. His supporters completely dropped him and fled right back to to Le Pen, and he ended up with only seven percent. Um, so, as well as that, the the French Communist Party came in at two point two eight percent. The Socialist Party down at one point seven four percent. Really huge drop offs in all these in all these parties that kind of just focus on. Uh, essentially, the three big hitters of uh, Macron, Le Pen, and Mélenchon. That, that's a lot of details thrown at you, and I do apologise for that. Uh, as um, as for the significance of this, uh, yeah, I have to go back to say that this is not going to be tremendously significant. Um, this is being uh, it's being pitched in the same terms that you know they pitched um, Trump versus Hillary, uh, or or you know Trump versus Biden, where uh, tremendously, they were like, "Look, that that one side—that's the bad, 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 bad side." The end of democracy in France and all that kind of thing. Um, both of them have quite cynically used U- Ukraine, um, kind of in in different directions. Um, 
Le Pen has kind of gone for the detente with Russia kind of angle of late of saying, you know, let's not be fighting other people's wars and and like the particularly the anti-refugee angle being quite prominent there. Um, but it's it's completely cynical. She's not an anti-war candidate by any measure. She just doesn't want to have to deal with the fallout of, of the war. And and it's also just a, a way of distinguishing herself from Macron, who is being the, the sort of champion of um, Europe against, against Russia sort of thing. In kind of other Ukraine news, we've got the um, uh, some r- rumours um, with some some strong anecdotal evidence behind them. A number of people who work in, like, with refugees um, have been saying they've all had a number of cases where um, an entire family of Ukrainian refugees have been issued visas um, to come to the UK except for the youngest child. So they're leaving leaving one family member out, typically the youngest family member, in order that they can say, oh, we've issued five visas, we've issued, you know, six visas, but those families are never going to come because you're never going to leave the the youngest kid alone. So that insight, it also tells you kind of, this is how the British Home Office behaves when it comes to like a, a politically important refugee project that is supporting a, a critical imperialist war. Um, and you can, you can, line that up alongside the um to to set up that um arrangement of having people being sent to another country to have their asylum applications quote unquote processed and like that that is um the state of the uk refugee system at the minute so speaking of ukraine uh you know how are the how are the measures to cut russia out of the european market going just now very interestingly just a few hours ago sean Janet Yellen, who's the US Treasury Secretary, warned um, that an embargo on all energy imports from Moscow into Europe would dent global growth. So the US position, um, which is effectively, we have started um, a war in Ukraine in order to push Russia out of the European energy market, is now saying, but we don't want to push them out completely because that will crash um, the energy market entirely and actually ruin us even more. So the <laughs> the US is is between a, a rock and a hard place on Russian energy imports to Europe. It's weird. You'd think that when, when they were doing all this planning and prep work and thinking and conspiring that they would maybe take into account the, the scale of the reaction from the, the, the massive anti-Russia sentiment they've spent uh, nearly 100 years building up. Precisely that, as well as the fact that like the US, up until today, has been campaigning for totally cutting Russia out of the EU market. And so now that it's looking like anything slightly close to that is on the table, they are kind of pulling back a little bit and being like, yeah, that's enough. We we will take we will take because what they really want is prices driven high enough that it becomes financially reasonable to import U.S. liquid natural gas, which is completely financially unreasonable unless like the oil prices are already so high. What they want is to maintain that that really high price so that they can gain their foothold in the market with LNG, um, but they can't actually supply the quantities necessary for that market. Um, and so that is the position they are stuck in. Very much a case of we didn't think we'd get this far. Um, 
which is you know when it's when you're talking on an international scale uh it's just great grand fun but um they have no one but themselves to blame thank you both now i'm joined by joshua to talk about book club hey joshua how are you doing yeah i'm good thanks how are you good yeah not too bad so we have you on the broadcast today to talk about book club what is book club so we take the format of a, a channel in the comms and essentially we're a reading group where we get together once a week and read a text or oh, that's been the system so far so it's sort of been relatively laid back until now there's been various people who have been facilitating it and i've just recently taken over so we tend to retext quite sort of going through them fuller and that's something that might be open to change and just recently we sort of had a, a bit of a stall we were reading anti-during and we ended up some people ended up not coming to the meetings and we sort of slowed down so i thought it was a good time to take a pause and maybe regroup so since then i reached out to the education forum for some advice or thoughts about how to go forward so we're sort of having a, a rebirth at the moment and so with the rebirth we're sort of we reassessed what our aims were there at the book club and we're sort of going forward we'd like to develop it more specifically around organizing and in our context in our current context because everyone has a million books they want to read but we thought if we're very focused in what we read and we discuss it in the context of trying to improve our organizing that will mean that we'll actually get a lot more out of it and i think as well reading groups seem to naturally form in caucuses or branches or other bodies so i'm particularly interested in working out what we can do differently as sort of the national book club so to speak so i think one thing i'm really excited for is some discussions with people from other branches who i might not have spoken to before and seeing their takes on texts and in particular i'm interested in what sort of outputs we might be able to put out at the moment uh, until now rather we've been inshallah we've basically if you weren't in the meetings uh, you sort of you didn't get anything out of it so i'm interested in what sort of outputs we can produce maybe reviews of text or analyses of text or what can come from it not just in terms of our personal enrichment for each of the people in the meeting but for the party at large great yeah what text are you going to be looking at so the next text we're going to read is activist study which is put on by the communist party of the philippines and i think people may have read it or read bits of it it was part of my educationals when i first came into the party um and i think it's going to be a really good one because it's it's quite foundational it's very easy to read i mean it was it was made to be studied in groups of people in a communist party so i think it's a quite sort of suited text for us but i think there's some stuff in there that's relatively challenging it's written in a different context and i think we're going to get into some good discussions of uh, which things are relevant to us which things aren't or which things are we sort of avoiding saying are relevant to us because maybe it's uncomfortable if you see what i mean so i think there's some interesting sort of challenges in that text that we're going to come across and at first the current plan is to read it sort of slowly and thoroughly and see what comes out of it more or less but as you say there might be different strategies and that's another thing that i would like to do with this book club i'd like to develop as many strategies for reading in the party as possible and i'm hoping that the book club can be a bit of a testing ground because i think these reading groups come up naturally it would be great if we could provide some useful advice of you know how to read a text how to keep people up to date if you want to read through it all you know what sort of outputs you can produce what's a useful form of analyses or outcome of one of these lush yeah how can people get involved with book club when do you meet 
So we're on comms as RFB Book Club and then a book emoji. Um, so that's where we meet and we discuss stuff. Our current meeting plan is Wednesdays at 6pm. Our first meeting of this new book is May the 4th at 6pm. So that will be the first one. You can check the wiki page, which will have been posted all over the place by now. <laughs> For more information and more reading schedule, feel free to drop in if there's a particular topic that interests you. Or come along to every meeting if you want it more in-depth. As well, if you have any thoughts about reading groups or book clubs in general or what you would like to see the book club output even if you have no intention of joining the meetings please drop by and send some messages i'm really interested on in collecting as many ideas around the book club as possible so personal message me i'm joshua on comms or send it in the channel and so i'd love to see everyone there amazing thank you for coming on to talk joshua really appreciate the work that you're doing with book club no problem bye Thank you, Joshua. Thank you, Sean and Angel. Thank you, Riley and the Transcript team. Catch you in a fortnight.